electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people bring friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I know you want to get in and get out. You want to get your, take your profits. You want to go home. You've had it with the stock market all of a sudden. You wish you'd never heard of it. Would have been better to bet on the Masters, the Sixers, the Brooklyn Nets, maybe even the Miami Heat, not the Knicks. But on day when the Dow shed 145 points, S&P declined 0.97%. NASDAQ tumbled 2.22%. That's where the pain is. Uh, what, I, 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 that's what I'm hearing are people who just feel trapped. Well, I'm giving a talk tomorrow to members of the CBC Investing Club at 12.30 p.m. about how to take evasive action in this environment. It's not all that bad. But let me give you a preview. This is not the time to sell everything. It's the time to pause your buying of some areas, but not even by all means other areas. Between the war in Ukraine and the Federal Reserve, it's difficult to spin a positive scenario about some stocks like tech, but not others like the consumer stocks, the drug stocks, the insurers, and maybe soon the financial stocks. Remember, as I've been saying for ages, companies that make things and sell them at a profit and return some of that profit to shareholders are going to be fine. That remains the case. Those are still in bull market mode. All right, that's certainly not the point of tomorrow's club meeting, though. Members are far more likely to hear a rendering of our charitable trust moves. And just to be sure, anyone from any firm who tries to claim ownership of my charitable trust is misleading you. I'm positive the consumer and the consumer product stocks, but it's a tougher road on tech, as I've said at our morning meetings this week. So why be inclined to buy weakness when we get oversold again? All right. First, you need to understand that we are not in a time where there's grave systemic risk to the economy or the country, save the possibility of nuclear war, which sadly is truly on the table with someone like Vladimir Putin, who's demonstrated a shocking level of instability. I never thought I'd long for the good old days of the Brezhnev administration. The fact is, if Ukraine plays for a tie, then the risk of nuclear war is reduced. If it plays for a win, there's a higher chance Russia pushes the red button. I want Ukraine to win decisively, 
But I acknowledge that's the higher risk strategy. These sanctions are so ineffective. And you want to know why? According to EU's foreign policy chief, Joseph Burrell, the member states have made energy payments worth $38 billion to Russia since the invasion. They've given them $38 billion. That's shocking versus the meager sanctions we put on them. Second, even if the Fed raises rates dramatically, something that might feel like a war against your assets, your homes, your second homes, your boats, most maybe even your stocks. Remember, the most, most people don't own any of those. Hey, you know, when I was growing up, Pop took me to work with him every Saturday. And I used to get scared when I went past a religious shelter for the less fortunate with a sign that said, I cried when I had no shoes until I saw a man with no feet. I remember asking Pop what it was like. I mean, do, do you think to have no feet. He described it, but he also said it was really a reminder of how fortunate we were. Pop had a steady job selling boxes, gift wrap, printed bags to retailers. We had a house. So those with real assets going down in value, hey, you got shoes, plenty of them. Next, even if you want to get out of this market and jump back at a lower level, that's a mistake. Do you really think you can do that with perfect timing? I like analogies. I'm using the 2018 decline, the last time the Fed also declared more on inflation. And even as it was a fraction of what it was around this time, I remember that bottom well. It came after a highly respected money manager came on Scott Wapner's show and said it was all over for equities. And that's when you had to get back in. The timing was tough. It would have been much easier if you simply never sold in the first place. But, but how about something more recent, the scare of a lifetime at the start of the pandemic? Who knew when to get in on that bear market? Once again, multiple very rich hedge fund managers came on air and talked about the apocalypse. One literally said hell is coming. But that sell call right then, hell is coming, heard around the world, was precisely when you had to buy. That was the end of that bear market. Listen, I've only made a sell everything call once in October of 2008 when I said to take any cash you might need for the next five years. It was a remarkably good call. And if you got back in again near the bottom in March of 2009, you dodged a 40% decline. And you know what? I'm still roundly criticized for scaring people away from the market because you would have done just fine if you held on for a few years. I think it was right to sidestep that meltdown. But a lot of people don't like being nimble investors. and They're furious at me. They're still furious at me. So the lesson is to stand pat and even put some of that money to work if you have raised cash like we have for the trust. And we're putting some to work now. Even if you're told to sell and you get the timing right, maybe you shouldn't listen. Of course, each proximate cause of these sellers was different. 2018, we had a too aggressive fit. In 2020, we had a pandemic. This time, we got out of control inflation. The trend reminiscent of what I experienced when I first started trading. Back then, everyone was running out of the Bernie theater, and I ran in. Maybe it was dumb luck. Fire burned out. But not before I was firmly ensconced in the seat. Made me a lot of money. But the lesson is clear. It's never as bad as you think it is. That said, we have two markets right now. One's an insane bull market that nobody's talking about, and one's a terrifying grizzly that everybody's talking about. When inflation was soaring and the Fed had yet to take action, the consumer packaged goods stocks were getting hammered and tech was running. Now the Fed's trying to kill inflation. So the consumer packaged goods plays and the drug stocks are on fire. So will many companies that have to buy things that just kept going up and up in price. You know what? I think the banks may be next to run, given how low they are. But tech's in the doghouse. Bulls, travel, leisure, oil, consumer packaged goods, pipelines, insurers, agriculture, non-industrial aerospace, bears, tech and banks. But can the latter stay this cheap? Listen to tomorrow's club meeting to find out. One last thought. Many investors don't remember the fable crash of 87, known as Black Monday or Terrible Tuesday, where the Dow fell from 2,300 to 1,400 in two days. Maybe you weren't even born yet. But here's something to keep in mind. If you had bought equal amounts of the top 10 most active stocks the Friday before that crash, arguably the dumbest day 
in history to buy stocks, you have been up a year later. What's the ultimate takeaway? If people come on TV and tell you to sell everything or that it's the biggest bear market ever, you better be real careful. The apocalypse is not coming. Even if they scare you out of your wits nine times out of ten, you should strap yourself to the mass, stay the course, and don't think that hell is here. Let me put it another way. I have a friend who sold everything last week because of fears of a nuclear war. I didn't try to talk him out of it. I have no idea what Putin will do. None. But I did trade through the period around Chernobyl, close call to a nuclear event, as well as Fukushima, another disaster. That was a buying opportunity. So many sold all their stocks on the news of both of those events. If you look back, though, you won't even recognize why you sold them because you can't see them on the chart. The bottom line, no matter how scared you get, most people aren't nimble enough to get out of this market and then get back in again at a good price. That's why it's a mistake to sell everything, even as the market's gotten more difficult for some once-favored stocks even as I could argue that a whole new bull market has come alive with pleasure. AJ in Wisconsin. AJ. Booyah, Jim. How are you doing? I am good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. With farmer income expected to exceed prior cycle highs, constrained agriculture supply, and all-time use equipment inventories, John Deere is poised for growth. The business has superior fundamentals is building out their software business. My question for you is, how will ongoing commodity price shifts as a result of conflict in Eastern Europe affect John Deere's next 12-month financial results? And is there a buying opportunity at this level? All right, this is a terrific question. I happen to like the ag stocks. I like Agco and I like Deere. And their principal co- uh, cost is uh, steel. And I think the price of steel is going down. Now, I have to tell you, I think the price of grains are going up, and that's going to be a problem unless we unless the war ends. If the war ends, the ag stocks... The, uh, these ag stocks are going to be unbelievably good, and I think that could happen. Uh, let's go to Jay in Missouri, please. Jay. Jimmy, Yo. how are you doing? All right, how are you? Good, good. Just dealing with some allergies, but you know how spring weather gets. Yep. Um, so just wanted to touch base real quick, just get my hometown. I see you kind of give the apes a hard time from time to time, but what's your thoughts on AMC's purchase of HYMC? Okay, now, I mean, I want to be careful about with the apes because they have now, I'm now the most hated person on Twitter, which is really rather amazing because I don't think I deserve it, but I can take the heat. Um, I love Adam Adam. He's from Philadelphia. Aaron's right down the beach, like two miles from me. He's done a remarkable job. I think as long as he's in AMC, I think it's going to be fine. Um, why am I hated? I, look, I don't even know. Um, I told my wife last night, I said, listen, don't read Twitter about me. Just read what I write on Twitter. Ryan in Connecticut, Ryan. Hey, Jim, how are you? I am good, Ryan. How about you? Good, thank you. First, I just want to thank you for all that you do, and I want to also point out that your books are excellent. Ah, thank you. You're terrific. Thank you very much. Uh, My question is in regards to Target. Um, Their their operations and their execution are sound. Uh, They have a fair valuation, a fair PEG ratio. My question is, do I have your blessing in starting the position at these current levels, or should I be looking at the other discount retailers? Well, I mean, I, have a, I am a big believer that Walmart and, you know, Mike Trust has a big position in Walmart, a big position in Costco. And we think those are the ones that are the inflation fighters. But as the Fed lowers, uh, lowers inflation, Target becomes more and more attractive. And let's not forget that. Not everything is a falling knife tech stock. And yet everybody seems to think that is all there is in this market. All right, it is a mistake to sell everything. 
even though I'm the first to admit that this market has gotten more difficult for the tech stocks. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, Lowe's, the company behind the hotel chain, lacks some serious coverage on the street. So could this be a benefit to home gamers? I'm taking a close look at the stock. Then the averages are rolling over again. But what is the VIX signaling? I think it's going to be very surprising to you. And last week, the CDC dropped its uh, risk advisory for cruise travel. And I'm learning more about this industry from Frank Del Rio, which I think is going into bull market mode. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Recently, we tried to pull up the earnings estimates for every company in the S&P 500 in order to identify the cheapest stocks in the index. But during that exercise, we noticed something incredibly unusual. There's one company in the S&P 500 that doesn't have any earnings estimates from any analysts. Well, it's not that weird to find stocks without any analyst coverage. They tend to belong to you know, one of these smaller SPACs, these newer companies. An S&P 500 component with no analyst coverage, that's an entirely different story. This is a $15 billion business here with a 76-year history and more than 60 years spent as a publicly traded entity. I'm talking about Lowe's Corporation. That's L-O-E, and that's for not like the 
you know, the, the home goods chain. Uh, but it's a diversified conglomerate, and please do not confuse it with the place that's about home improvement. Even without analyst coverage, this stock has been a terrific performer, up roughly 10% for the year and 19% over the last 12 months. I say no coverage, no problem. Lowe's has a great story, and the fact that it's managed to fly under the radar simply means that you're getting a chance to buy it for less than it should be worth. I can understand why the analysts don't flock to this one. Lowe's is a conglomerate that swapped in and out of a host of different industries over the years. Always opportunistic, though. These days, they've got four left. CNA Financial is a property casualty insurance business. Boardwalk Pipelines, natural gas pipeline, store, and also a storage business. Lowe's Hotels. Hey, that speaks for itself. You probably stated one. And Outstream Packaging, a maker of rigid plastic packaging, formerly known as Consolidated Container Company. It gets a little complicated because CNA Financial itself is a publicly traded company. Lowe's owns an 89.6 stake. And in Outstream, they only have a 53% position. But I think it's a terrific set of assets for the current moment. Of course, given the nature of these subsidiaries, Lowe's struggled a lot during the early days of the pandemic. Life insurance, natural gas, and hotels all got crushed as COVID exploded. That's why the stock initially tumbled from the mid-50s down to the 20s at its lows roughly two years ago. They also had a 53% stake in Diamond Offshore Drilling, which went bankrupt in April 2020. Uh, All right, suboptimal. However, all four businesses made remarkable progress last year, and now Lowe's is in excellent shape as the world's returning to normal, and these are all industries that I would say are in bull market mode. Let's take them one by one, starting with CNA Financial, which is the largest component. This is one of the top property housing and insurance companies in the country. It's got a terrific balance sheet, too. Crucially, insurance is a fabulous business to be at this point in the business cycle. People don't stop paying their premiums just because we might be headed for a Fed-mandated recession. At the same time, higher interest rates means that insurance companies can earn more risk-free as they sit on your premiums and wait to pay out claims. Sanity Financial is the foundation of Lowe's. It's like a cash machine that constantly throws off money. Second, there's boardwalk pipelines. As I said many times, we have a serious shortage of natural gas pipelines in this country. It wasn't always the case. Bad news for global energy security, but great news for Lowe's, through Boardwalk, they own more than 14,000 miles of pipe, along with tremendous amount of storage capacity for both natural gas and natural gas liquids. Have been a dog. Now it's terrific. But the best thing about Boardwalk Pipelines is its location. They're all around the Gulf Coast region. They even have a pipeline that can bring natural gas from the Marcellus and Utica shale formations in the Rust Belt down to the Gulf, where it can be liquefied and exported overseas. Prime asset. That gives Lowe's major exposure to the liquefied natural gas business we talked about last night. Nearly all of those LNG export facilities are going up in the Gulf Coast. Third is Lowe's Hotels, which owns or operates 26 luxury properties and has two more development. This business has had a tough time over the last two years. They've been in bear market, but I think that's going to change. For all the areas of the economy that I've gotten increasingly bearish on lately, travel's not one of them. Even last year, when things improved dramatically for Lowe's Hotels, they still only had 55% occupancy. Tons of upside here. People have been cooped up for too long. They want to take real vacations again. Finally, there's Audi and packaging. Bit of a quandary here. These guys make highly specialized products for a diverse set of end markets. And I think they've got a solid long-term story, even as they're currently contending with rising raw costs. But that's going to flip. Eventually, though, Altium plans to consolidate what remains a very fragmented industry. I bet it's got a bright future. Put it all together, and Lowe's Corporation gives you four quality businesses. But the crux of the story here is that they don't get nearly enough credit for any of this. This stock is severely undervalued because the sum of the parts is worth far more than the current whole. 
Look, look, look at this at this moment. Lowe's has a $15.6 billion market capitalization. Now let's head up the components. They own nine, nearly 90% of CNA Financial, okay, publicly traded. CNA has a $13 billion market cap. So it's worth $11.67 billion to Lowe's on paper. I know they're tax considerations. Let's put them aside for a second. Throw in the company's $1.1 billion in net cash. That gets you to $12.76 billion, meaning the stock's markets value the rest of the business at $2.84 billion. Again, I know there's tax issues, but still. I mean, you get the rough figures. That's less than $3 billion for a huge pipeline business, a decent-sized luxury hotel, and a 53% stake in Altium Packaging. I think that pipeline business alone is just so incredible. Boardwalk Pipelines and Lowe's Hotels alone generated nearly $1 billion in earnings for interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization last year. So even ignoring Altium, you're getting these divisions for next to nothing, and their businesses are going to be way up this year, especially since the numbers are definitely going to rise. As for Altium, we know that Lowe's sold a 47% stake in this business at Singapore's Sovereign Wealth Fund last year. If you run with that valuation, the remaining position should be worth about $475 million, which I think is still a super low bull number. At the same time, Lowe's argues that the stock trades at what we call a triple discount. There's the discount to the sum of the uh, parts valuation I just mentioned. There's the fact that CNA Financial, the largest part of the business, already trades at a sizable discount to its peers in the insurance business, despite having a high dividend and good execution. CNA sells for less than 11 times this year's earnings estimates, whereas the average insurance company, the S&P 500, sells for closer to 17 times. And I think those estimates are way too low. Finally, there's the third discount, the discount to book value, which is what the company would be worth if you liquidate the whole thing and return all the money to shareholders. Not that I want that to happen. At the end of last year, Lowe's book value per share stood at $71.84, the $63 stock. What really makes me like this one, though, is that managers putting their money where their mouth is. They say the stock is too cheap, and they clearly believe it because they're buying back stock hand over fist. Over the past nine years, Lowe's has retired 37% of its share count, and that's accelerated more recently. They've repurchased a billion dollars worth of stock on average every year since 2018. Here's the bottom line, okay? Uh, Lowe's Corporation may not get any love from the analyst community, but I think it's a hidden gem that should work perfectly in an increasingly tough market. And let me tell you something. The people who run this company, the Tisch family, they're about as smart as they get, and they're great teachers. They taught me a ton, and I always listen to them. They're that good. Stick with credit. Coming up, the Fed's got a lot to juggle. What can the charts tell us about what's to come? Kramer plums the depths to get you answers next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. The average is struggling again as we try to get more news confirming that the Federal Reserve might be willing to destroy the economy in order to save it. I think it's important to objectively take the temperature of the stock market because maybe it's not as bad as we think. I don't know. 
That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's a brilliant technician who's the founder of OptionPit.com. He also writes for RealMoney.com. We're going to get a better read of the action. Remember, he's our resident volatility expert, and right now we're a hostage to volatility. He's been very right. In his view, this is a temporary volatility spike, and the market will resume its previous rebound in the not-too-distant future. So when I was very conservative this morning with David, and I read this piece and read those minutes at 2 o'clock, I said, don't want to be too conservative. There's a lot that's going right. Take a look at the daily action in the S&P 500 as compared to the CBOE volatility index, the VIX for short, also known as the fear gauge. As the S&P got hammered today, the VIX naturally spiked 5%. Okay, that's exactly supposed to happen, right? Uh, Because the volatility index reflects fear, it's normal for it and the S&P to move in opposite directions. It's when they move in the same direction that you have to start asking questions about the sustainability of the market's trajectory. Look at what happened last October, okay? When the S&P temporarily sold off and then bounced right back, Sebastian points out that we bottomed at 4,300 in October. Okay, here we go. You can see that, 4,300. Then the S&P went off the races, rallying to new all-time high of 4,796 in January 3rd. Nice. However, within that rally, we also caught a vicious decline in late November and early December at a time when the volatility index surged higher. See, while the S&P started roaring back, the VIX actually spiked. It went higher, not lower. Wait a second. At least at first. Sebastian notes that the VIX jumped from 18.58 on November 24th to 28.62 on November 26th. Meanwhile, the market tanked with the VIX peaking three sessions later at 31.12. See that right here. By December 8th, the S&P 500 was rallying again. Next Next, let me show you something that's really interesting. There was a problem with that rebound uh, because the action in the S&P simply didn't match up to what we were seeing in the volatility index. Sebastian points out that when the S&P 500 later hit an all-time high, the VIX was still giving readings that were well above its lows in October and November. That was a pretty reliable sign that there was something wrong. When the S&P makes a new high while the volatility index refuses to go back to its previous lows, well, that tells investors, well, you should be worried because others are. And we certainly had reason to be worried as this was after the Federal Reserve made it very clear they were about to raise interest rates aggressively. At the same time, and this is something we've discussed before, when the SP was sitting at the top in the last week of 2021, meandering higher, the VIX wasn't dropping it at all. Again, another sign of fear. See, it should have been going through that, right? All right, now let's zoom in on the action in 2022. As the new year got rolling, the S&P tanked and the VIX basically went straight up. All right. The market briefly tried to give us a head fake value on January 11, 12, but the VIX didn't take out its previous lows, even as the S&P temporarily went higher. From there, the volatility index was off to the races. Next, please. While the S&P did recover in the last week of January, it rolled over again in February. More importantly, Sebastian's perspective is that the fact that the VIX confirmed this negativity. With every new low for the S&P, the VIX went higher, just like it should. Then, a few weeks ago, on March 14, something changed. Sebastian points out that the S&P 500 came in with a hair of, of, uh, of touching its previous low from March 8th. Okay, see, right here. you got to look right here. But look at the VIX. When the volatility index surged to 35 on the 8th, it only rallied to 31.77 when the S&P nearly revisited those lows on the 14th. That told you that the fear 
was evaporating. So why go through this whole odyssey? Well, because we're all trying to figure out what the hell is going on, right? So after the traffic, a terrific rebound, we're now on the heels of two days of selling, and the market suddenly feels ugly, and everybody's saying it's a bear market. But the volatility index has been a good guide to the broader action in the market. And so what it's telling us right now, as Sebastian sees it, we've actually got more room to run higher. The S&P 500's most recent high was 4631 back on March 29th. At the time, the VIX closed at 1890. While the S&P failed to touch that same level, it's highs on Monday. Notice that the VIX hit a lower level here, okay? In other words... Uh, the level was, it hit was 1857. In other words, the market went down, but the VIX also went down. That means despite the action today, the fear is continuing to subside. So what does Sebastian think we're looking at right now? In his view, we're in the midst of a two to three day VIX spike. Okay, that's what's going on right now. The kind of move that's incredibly fast, but tends to be short lived. He's betting the market will start rallying again by Monday. While he doesn't see the S&P making crazy new highs, he does think we could see 4,700. Well, put us right here, okay? Uh, again, sometimes, maybe potentially before Easter. All right, I know this is all confusing, but the bottom line, as the charts is interpreted by Mark Sebastian say, we're currently in the middle of a short-term volatility spike, and once it's over, we're going to return to the post-March bottom environment where stocks can easily go higher. Other than tech, where I am now cautious and conservative. Got to tell you, I agree with him. Let's go to Peter in Virginia, please. Peter. Hey, Jim. Booyah, and uh, congratulations on your success with uh, Mad Money and all the other programs. Oh, thank you. you. Was, uh, terrific. Thank terrific. you very uh, much. My, my uh, call tonight is on uh, Clorox, which I'm very concerned about. Uh, while it has nominally a 3.2% yield, it also sports a rather large debt-to-equity ratio. And I'm considering swapping out of uh, Clorox, doing almost a pairs trade, into Church and Dwight or huh. Procter Gamble. And the uh, thought here is that people are shifting to more generic brands. I wondered what your feelings were about that idea. Well, if you think that, I think you should go out of Clorox and get into Costco. I mean, Costco's got the best generics. Costco's in a total bull market mode, big position owned by the charitable trust. And I think that makes sense. I mean, I'm surprised that Costco hasn't gone after every single aspect of what Clorox has because Clorox is not doing well. That's the way I would play it. Let's go to Jeff in New Jersey, please. Jeff. Hey, Jim. Got a few next-gen fans that want to say hi. Oh, I like that. I like that. Great to have you. What's going on? Hey, my stock, you know really well. I think it's got all the check marks that you look for. Things like customer base, which is Taiwan Semi, Samsung, Intel, generates 70% of future revenue through service parts, long-term agreements based on subscription model. $6 $6 billion share repurchase authorized. They got a small dividend, nothing to crow about, but it's something. They're committed to building a culture of inclusion, respect, and they welcome diversity and embrace different perspectives. Guy Adami recently said this stock could be the key to the market. Watch. Close today, about $5 off its low. It is applied materials. Oh, man, applied materials is, is very cheap, as is Lamb Research. I agree with you, and I like the kids, too. I think that those are great stocks here. Now, I'm getting very conservative about some aspects of tech. 
but it does not include either applied materials or lamb research. Okay, I know this is confusing, but the bottom line here of this chart is he suggests we're in a little bit of a volatility squall here, but then we're going to start going higher again. That's right. We could return to the post-March environment where stocks could go much higher. Now, I hope he's right. It's certainly a confusing time. Much more mad money, I include my exclusive with Norwegian. With booking for cruisings reaching pre-pandemic levels and travel on the increase, uh, could, well, let's just say, could it be time to start buying the cruise stocks? I'm going to talk to the CEO. Then the airline bidding war is heating up with JetBlue courting Spirit with more than $3 billion bid. And I'm taking a closer look at that, what, what could stand in that deal's way. And believe me, I wouldn't bet on any of those deals happening. And then all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. What needs to happen before it's truly safe to invest in the cruise line stocks? Two years, this group has been tempting, really a tempting comeback play. But every time they bounce, the move turns out to be premature. Take Norwegian Cruise Lines holding, which to me is the best of the breed. As people started getting vaccinated, the stock ran from mid-teens to the mid-30s, all at its highs last June. Since then, since then, even as Norwegian ships started sailing again, the stock has trended lower, coming to $20 and change as of today. Just as people started coming back, Wall Street began to worry about skyrocketing costs. Remember, the cruise lines burned through a ton of fuel. So when oil's near $100, that takes a big bite out of their earnings. But on the other hand, Norwegian's full fleet will finally be sailing again by the middle of next month. So could this pullback be a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Frank Del Rio. He's the president and CEO of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings to figure things out. Mr. Del Rio, welcome back to Mad Money. Hello, Jim. It's good to be with you again. All right. So, Frank, the last time I spoke we were with you, it was just all about how you were trying to protect people away from, from, from COVID. You had to accept the fact that, that people were going to get COVID, but that you're doing your best to stop it. Now, it seems like me, there are many people who have said enough is enough. Let's start cruising again. You know, that's right. The uh, Look, as far as we're concerned, the pandemic is, is not over because I don't think any, it'll ever be over. But it's behind us. When we last spoke in early November, I only had 11 of our 28 ships operating. We went through the Delta uh, end of Delta, the beginning of Omicron. We went through that. Uh, and, and now we were about to uh, embark uh, guests on our 25th vessel out of 28. All 28 will be operating by early May. Um, guest satisfaction scores on the vessels we're operating at an all-time high. Onboard revenue, an all-time high. We, we mentioned that in our last earnings call. Uh, the CDC has relaxed uh, many of the uh, uh, friction-causing uh, protocols. We think they will, there will be additional relief from protocol uh, uh, pressures. Uh, April 18th is a big day. The, the, the government is supposed to uh, uh, eliminate the mask mandate on airplanes. 80% of our customers first must get on an airplane before they get on board our vessels. And so all the, all the indicators are pointing positive and, uh, and we're encouraged. Okay, so a uh, new ship in September of 2022. Let's say I wanted to get on that ship. Did, I already, did that already sail? Did my reservation already sail? There is always a cabin for you, Jim. But um, but uh, Norwegian Prima is selling like uh, no other cruise in the Norwegian fleet before it at, uh, at all-time higher prices. We're doing a great uh, celebration, inaugural 
um, from Reykjavik, Iceland. Katy Perry is going to be the godmother vessel. So it's going to be a fantastic event. A lot of excitement around it. Our guests are excited about it. Travel agents around the country are excited about it. And so, uh, and so are we. And I think that uh, that's going to conclude, if you will, the great cruise comeback for our company this year. Now, some people are saying, and again, you're in quiet periods. You can't tell us directly the numbers. You can't speak to current reservations. But some people are saying, Jim, will you stop it with the sale? They loaded up on so much debt. They're finished. And I said, you know what? Frank Del Rio is never finished. Are you concerned about paying off all that debt? What can you do about it? Look, I wish I had the balance sheet that I had uh, at the end of 2019 uh, before the pandemic began in, in early 2020. But one of the wonderful things about uh, our company is the amount of cash that it generates, the free cash flow. I, I will tell you that right before the pandemic hit, the biggest concern we had at the board was, what do we do with this ton of cash that we're generating? Uh, do we buy more ships? Do we pay down debt? Do we buy back stock? Do we start a dividend? And we were considering all those things. Uh, I will tell you that the focus today, once we get back to generating the free cash flow that I know this company is capable of generating, is to pay back that debt. It'll take a couple of years, but I'm confident that uh, if you believe in the cruise industry and our ability to, to come back, what a great value proposition cruising is. Customers are coming back. The great pent-up demand. We're seeing it in bookings um, throughout the, the back half of 22. Fantastic 23 is looking right now. So we're confident that the weakened balance sheet, I admit it is a weaker balance sheet than it was uh, a couple of years ago, it will be restored to its luster in not too distant future. Okay, so let me play devil's advocate there. Truist is saying uh, that, you know, that obviously all the cruise ships, they had to do some price cutting. And they're saying historically, once cruise lines begin discounting on ticket price, it has taken years to get pricing back to pre-discount levels. Is that analyst correct? Yes, they are. And I'll tell you, I've been an advocate of no discounting. Our go-to market strategy before the pandemic, during the pandemic, is market to fill. I will spend whatever is necessary in marketing to gin up demand for our vessels. I won't sell cruises uh, at a discount. Um, There are times when we do promotions, and it's typically value add. But uh, dropping prices like we've seen uh, in other instances, like uh, for example, back in 08 and 09 during the, the Great Recession, cruise companies dropped prices. It took them more than 10, 11 years to return to those pre, um, uh, pre-recession prices. And so I don't want to go down that road. It's easy to drop prices. It's very hard to climb up that hill again, and, and we won't do it. Like I said earlier, uh, and I've said it uh, throughout the pandemic on my last earnings call, our pricing is higher for 2022 uh, back half uh, and, and in 2023 than in our record years of 2019. So we don't believe in discounting. We believe in, uh, in full ships, but we market to fill. We don't discount. Well, it's going to hurt my plan. I did single recently. Carl, Keith, and I were joking. Uh, I said, I want to do my investment club on a cruise ship. And a lot of people initially were snickering to me. And then I looked at my Twitter file, which is usually quite negative, Frank. I saw more people want to go on a cruise with me than I told my team. I cannot wait because I think you're back and you're bigger than ever, Frank. Well, I, I hope so. And uh, I got to tell you, Jim, I got calls from, from people I know. Is Jim referring to your company, Frank? Is he going to come on Norwegian? 
And, uh, you know, I, I didn't reveal any any secrets, uh, Jim, but, uh, you know, we're looking forward to that. All right. Thank you so much to Frank Del Rio. You heard what he had to say. I don't know if this stock should be where it is in the bull market that is going on right now in travel. Frank Del Rio, President CEO of Norwegian Cruise Lines. Just a pleasure, sir. Always. May have money's back after the break. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. Before we get to the lightning round, I want to encourage you to join us tomorrow at 12.30 p.m. for our monthly investing club meeting. We will hit on all the trust holdings and make a plan on how to handle a kind of volatile market. You don't want to miss this one. If you are a member, and I hope you are, I'll see you there. If you are not and you want to join, just go to CNBC.com slash join the club or point your phone at this QR code. And now it is time. It is time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, time for the lightning round. Okay, everybody, let's start with Joe Ditt in California. Joe Ditt. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me on your show today. I'm oh, a long you for listener and fan of yours. Thank you. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on the ticker BXC, Blue Link Holdings, with inflation and interest rates increasing. Should I hold? I think the stock completely anticipated that rates would be increasing, and so therefore I would actually be a buyer, not a seller of that stock. Let's go to Ryan in Virginia. Ryan. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm a first-time caller and a long-time fan. I want to know what's your take on Digital Ocean Holdings. Okay. You know, look, we looked at this company and there was another time when it would have rallied, I think, because it's a company that had good growth. But we're not recommending companies that are not making money. Uh, We just don't think that they're a part conducive at all to uh, the Bulls winning. I think those are not what you want to own. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob. Hey, booyah, Kramer. Booyah, Bob. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Hey, you helped me about you helped me great about four years ago with the exact same situation. Okay. I have a stock that spun off another company. And I need to know what your what your thought is on holding, adding to it or dumping it. Uh, the stock that spun off is Douglas Elliman. Symbol D O U G. Okay, that that's a company. Stocks down forty percent. It's a profitable company. It sells at a ridiculously low price earnings ratio. I'm I'm on board. I'm on board with that stock. Let's go to John in California. John. Hey Jim, thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. What's up? Uh, I hope Andy's a, a big fan of yours. Can I say a quick shout out just to my wife, three sons, daughter, and the grandkids? Okay. And uh, the symbol is W C N. Oh, man, I got to tell you, I like, I like Waste more than them, WM. I think that Waste is a better stock to own. That's the one I would buy. Let's go to Brian in North Carolina. Brian. How are we doing, Jim? How are you doing? I am doing well, Brian. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. What do you think about Poshmark? Po- Poshmark? Okay, we yeah. are not in favor of companies that are losing money hand over fist, even if we like management. Let's go to Malon in New Jersey. Malon. Hey, Jim. It's uh, it's Malon, by the way. Malon, I'm um, sorry. How are you doing? 
It's okay. Uh, big booyah from Point Pleasant, New oh. Jersey. Jenkinson's, here I come. What's up? It's my daughter list. Uh, what do you think about <laughs> Cleveland Cliff? Uh, the stock's had such a spike. Let's take a breather on that one. I mean, it's just up so much that I worry that rates can't stay this high. I think rates are going to peak in steel and they can come down. And that's why I like some of the companies that are buyers of steel and not sellers. Let's go to Norman in California. Norman. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. For a while, I've had a position on an infrastructure company that builds highways, airports, subways, and other major projects. But I'm in the house of pain. How do you feel about TPC, Tudor Perini? Well, I was listening to Barry Sternlich today, this morning on Squawk, and he was saying, listen, we're going to have this giant infrastructure bill, and the money hasn't even hit yet. When it does, it's going to be amazing. It will be amazing for Tudor Perini. So I do not want to sell Tudor Perini down here. I, it, they, the company makes a lot of money. Let's go to Jim in New York. Jim. Hey. Hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Um, analyst ratings have an average uh, target price of $51 for Bank of America, which should make me happy. Should I hold on to it or should I get rid of it? All right. Now, by the way, great article about Brian Moynihan the other day in the Times and how many great things he's done. All right. Now, this is the crux of the market. I've been confused. I've been saying, listen, it's a bull market. All right. But tech is not good. The group that is going to determine the ultimate direction of this market is the banks. And if Bank America does well, then this market's going higher. And I think it will. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, merger competition is in the air. But will the government let these airlines go wheels up on a deal? Kramer thinks not. More next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus, special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Right now, JetBlue and Frontier Airlines are caught in a strange bidding war for Spirit Airlines. For Frontier, First Frontier offered $2.9 billion for Spirit in early February. Then yesterday, JetBlue came in with a $3.6 billion bid for Spirit, talking about $600, $700 million with its annual synergies. Now, you may think this is exciting merger mania. Me, I think it's idiocy. At best, it's a pointless waste of time. Why? Because I believe the regulators at both the Federal Trade Commission and the Justice Department will do their best to block either of these deals. In fact, I'm so convinced that regulators won't let it happen that I'm appalled at this whole situation. The advisors of JetBlue and Spirit, especially the lawyers, are being incredibly irresponsible here. I almost can't believe that they're being paid for this advice. What makes me so confident? Because the Biden Justice Department is basically just like the Obama Justice Department. I, I know that that Justice Department feels tremendous remorse that they allowed so many major airline mergers back in their day. They blessed United and Continental merging in 2010. They allowed American and U.S. Air to merge in uh, uh, 2013. They permitted an enormous amount of consolidation in the industry, giving the airlines real pricing power over the customers, as you know. And it's clear they now regret it. When I talk to people from the Obama administration, they wish these mergers had been blocked now. 
the way they had the foresight to block the attempted merger of AT&T and T-Mobile. I was at a large communications conference several several master ceremonies when that deal was announced in 2011. And we had executives from all the telco companies. The moment we got the news, the CEOs of the other phone companies said, well, they will never let that deal happen. They were appalled at how AT&T's advisors had misread the government's intentions. They got that right. Fast forward to 2022, and we have an FTC head, Lena Khan, who is so opposed to corporate consolidation that the idea of another airline merger just seems fanciful to me. She even has issues with the Microsoft buying uh, Activision Blizzard deal, even though the video game space is much less concentrated in the airlines. I also believe that Jonathan Cantor, later Paul Weiss, now uh, head of the Justice Department's antitrust division and a real smart fella, would be similarly opposed. And hey, who can blame them? The rates now for key routes from New York to West Palm and Fort Lauderdale airports are some of the greatest bargains out there. I would think those rates would disappear if either JetBlue or Frontier is allowed by spirit. More important, you need to understand that when it comes to mergers, the Biden administration is extremely pro-consumer and anti-business. I know that sounds like I'm some sort of bomb thrower, but I'm simply facing the music coming from the FTC and justice. Right now, for example, the oil companies are on the hill being grilled about why they aren't pumping more, echoing President Biden's last week. Uh, remember the statements he made? Of course, the oil companies are just being prudent, but Biden sees their prudence as a kind of silent collusion to rip you off. That spells trouble for the oils and makes it clear that their decisions will be second-guessed by the White House. This is not the Trump administration. And frankly, it's even less business-friendly than Obama. I believe we're only looking at the beginning of this kind of regulatory intrusion. If I put my consumer hat on, I naturally want lower profits for the airlines and cheaper prices to pump. But when I put on my shareholder cap, I have to recognize that this government simply doesn't care about the stock market. There's no concern for your 401k or your IRA. The Biden administration cares about your spending, not your savings. Maybe Biden, who once bragged to me that he was the poorest senator, wants others to join him. So when you see a stock roaring on a takeover bid in an already concentrated industry, you need to recognize that that stock is now a sell. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Because there's a very good chance the regulators will enjoy blocking the deal as they don't want to experience the same merger remorse as their predecessors in the Obama administration. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.